For those of you that didn't know, um, I wasn't here last week uh, because myself and about 11 other students went to the country of Haiti on a mission trip, which is pretty cool. We actually got a picture of us before we loaded up on the bus to head to the airport. So this is all of our beautiful smiling faces. Look at that. It's bright and early in the morning. We are, uh, we're excited and we're smiling. And part of the reason we're smiling is because for many of the students there, they had no idea how hot Haiti was going to be. Because I'm telling you, Haiti is hot. In fact, it's so hot. This is true. It's so hot that uh, it's even a part of their language, like the language that the people of Haiti use. So they speak a language called Creole. And we, if you want to say like, what's up to someone, uh, the Creole for what's up is sac passe. Okay, so let's try that again. Uh, try that together. Okay, sac passe. So, so say it right after me. Sac passe. There we go. You just said what's up in Creole. Okay, so they say uh, sac passe to say what's up. And then here in America, when you say what's up, there's a variety of responses, you know. It's like uh, just chilling, you know, nothing much, just kind of hanging out. Those are all the responses. In Haiti, there's only one response, and everyone says it, okay. So when you say sac passe, people in Haiti say naboule, okay. Naboule, so say that right after me. Naboule. There we go. Okay, so I'm going to say sac passe, and you say naboule, okay. Sac passe. Okay, try it like you're not asleep. Okay, let's try it like all together, like we're awake. Okay, I need a lot of enthusiasm here. I believe in you. I believe you can do it. Okay, sac passe. Sac passe. Sac passe. There we go. Okay, so what you just said literally, naboule, which is what everyone in Haiti says when you say sac passe, it literally means I'm on fire. Okay, like no joke, the people of Haiti that live there all the time, when you ask them what's up, they don't say just chilling, they say I'm on fire. Okay, so that's how hot it is in Haiti, but again, we were super excited about being there and saying sac passe to all the cool people there in Haiti. Now, when we got there, there was a lot of really cool stuff that we did. One of the things we got to do was we got to hang out in this little community called Piat, okay? Piat was right on the side of a mountain, which is pretty cool and so we were we were there one of the things we got to do was we got to hang out with the kids there bunch of kids living in Piat and we just got to you know we got to teach them some English we got to play some games with them got to learn their name and they learned our names and there was this one girl in particular that was like eight or nine years old and there was something about her that like was just kind of like different and special um, the best way I know how to describe it is it was like there was there was like joy in her eyes. You know how like some people, you know, like you look at their eyes and they're like they're like maybe sad or they're really happy. Her eyes were so full of joy, so full of joy. And the other reason I loved um, hanging out with this girl and kind of getting to know her was she would mimic everything that I did. Okay, so if I would smile, she would smile. If I would frown, you know, she would frown. If I would tilt my head to the side, she would tilt her head to the side. So uh, on one occasion, I actually got my phone out and I was able to take a picture and I was like snapping a few pictures because I wanted to capture this on camera, okay? So this is a picture of this girl mimicking my face. You see it right there? Look at that, like so, so cute. Okay, so she's there and you know, I'm making a silly face and she made a silly face. Now here's what I didn't know. As I was snapping all these pictures, she somehow managed to convince everyone else in the picture to mimic me as well. Okay, so it wasn't just her mimicking me. So the next picture that we got was all of us together making silly faces, which was awesome. So we loved, loved hanging out with the kids, love uh, making funny faces with them and kind of getting to know them. The other thing that we got to do, and this was so cool, was we got to hang out with the leadership council there in Piat. 
okay? Now, the Leadership Council, uh, it's a group of people that are responsible for making all decisions in this town of Piat. And so if there was ever any major decision or any major change that needed to happen, it went through the Leadership Council. And the cool part was the Leadership Council, most of the people there um, were, were believers. They loved Jesus. And so whenever there was a change to be made, um, the people brought it up to the Leadership Council and the, uh, and the Leadership Council actually brought it up to God. And they would pray and they would ask God, God, what do you want to do? You know, we have some opinions, we have some ideas, but God, what do you want to do here in Piat? And so we got some one-on-one time with the people from the leadership council, which was, again, just kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And they laid out for us the vision that they believed God had for the community of Piat. And the number one item on their agenda was healthcare. Specifically, they wanted to build a clinic there in Piat. Now, for you and I, um, the important thing to know is that, is that healthcare in Haiti is a little bit different than healthcare here, okay? Here's what I mean. If you get sick and it's not really that serious, you can drive about five or 10 minutes to Publix or to Kroger and you can get like an over-the-counter, you know, you can get some Tylenol, you can get some ibuprofen, you can get something that's gonna make you feel a little bit better. Now, if it's even more serious than that, then maybe you drive five or 10 minutes and you go to like an urgent care or like a day clinic you know, and you go there. And the cool thing is you just drive like just again, five or 10 minutes. And there's a doctor there that will actually see you and prescribe medicine for you and make sure that you're doing good. Just five or 10 minute drive. If it's really serious and you need to see someone immediately like a surgeon, uh, you know, or like, you know, a ton of doctors to, to, you know, take a look at stuff, you can go to a hospital and that's probably a 10 or 15 minute drive away, maybe even a little bit closer. And if it's real serious, you go to the emergency room and they see you immediately to make sure that you're doing okay. And the crazy thing is if it gets like for real serious, like I need some help immediately, all you got to do is take a phone, you dial three numbers, right? Nine, one, one, you dial nine, one, one. And then this is crazy, but a hospital on wheels comes to you, right? Like an ambulance comes to you and it's got all this medical equipment in it. And then they load you up. You don't even have to move from your couch. They will literally carry you from your couch into this hospital on wheels and then take you to a legitimate hospital where they can do emergency surgery on you. It's so easy. It's, I'm telling you, we are blessed to live in the country that we live in. Now in Haiti, it's a little bit different. If you have an issue and you need to go see like an urgent, uh, urgent care or a clinic, well, for the people of Piat, they live on the side of a mountain. You have to walk down the mountain and it is no easy task. In fact, for us driving in vehicles, it took about 35 minutes to drive. And so you expand that out to, a, to, to some crazy terrain where you're having to go down the mountain. We actually tried to go down the mountain like halfway and we got completely winded, completely tired and we turned around and came back. They would have to walk all the way down, all the way down the mountain and then walk to the nearest town where a clinic might be. And again, we're talking someone who's sick. So imagine being sick and you have to make that trek all the way to get better. Because there was no car. There's no ambulance. You can't rent a car. No one in Piat has cars and you definitely don't have money to rent a car. So your only option is walking. And if you need to go to the hospital, it's an even further walk than that. And so that's one option to make that long trek. The other option is the one that most people in Piat choose, which is you just stay at home and hope you get better. And that's what most people do. And so as you can imagine, the people um, of Piat, specifically the leadership council, they saw many of their friends, many neighbors, and many family members actually pass away from treatable diseases because there was no clinic nearby. 
And so as they started praying to God, saying, God, what do you want to do here in Piat? The number one thing they felt like God had for them was to build a clinic. And so this was the coolest part. They actually already had land to build the clinic. Someone in the community donated some land and said, we believe in the vision God has for this community, so we've got some land. And so the leadership council actually took us to the land, which was just so inspiring and incredible. And they're telling us about all the plans for the land. And I'm telling you, like we were there and we caught a hold of the vision and we're dreaming with them and we're imagining what it would be like for people to walk on this land. And one day there's a clinic and there's doctors that are there and they're healing them and taking care of them. And so as we're talking to them and we're all getting kind of emotional because this is a big deal for them, um, it, it, it kind of reminded us of the story where the people of God crossed over the Jordan River and then they were like getting ready to go to the promised land. But right before they went to the promised land, they reached back to the Jordan River that God had actually dried up for them and they grabbed 12 stones, right? They grabbed 12 stones and they set it up as a monument to remember what God had done and to look forward to what God was going to do there in the promised land. And that's actually where we get the name of our church from, 12 Stone. And so while we were there and they were, and they were describing this to us, this was just too incredible. We were like, well, we're from 12 Stone and this feels a lot like the promised land. So we got all of our students to grab a stone and we stacked it up together. And then we sat there and stood there with the leadership council. We got a picture of it. Um, this is so cool. So this is all of us together. We're standing there and uh, you see some of the members of the leadership council. And then if you zoom in, we got another picture right there. Uh, are the picture of the 12 stones, which is so cool, you know? So we got like nine campuses of 12 stone here in Georgia, and then here's our 10th one right here, right? Like, this is awesome. So, um, so anyways, there, you know, there in Haiti, we stack it up, and it was so emotional, it was so incredible to look into the eyes of the people of Haiti and say, this is your promised land, right? This is what God has for you. But the best was yet to come, because what we did next was we prayed, all of the people together, all of the people from Haiti, all the people from America, together with one voice, we actually raised our hands and we began to pray over that land. And it was an unbelievable experience. In fact, as we're there and, you know, and, I'm, and I've, I've got my hands in the air and I'm praying out loud and all of us are praying out loud over this land, um, I, I, I kind of cheated Okay, and again, this is like, you know, if you've grown up in church, this is like against the rules, you know. When you're praying, you need to have your eyes closed and your hands like this, you know, and all that. And you're like, you know, it's against the rules to like open your eyes and look, even though some of you have done it. Okay, it's fine, it's fine. So anyways, I'm there and I got my hands, you know, in the air and I got my eyes closed. And I was like, this is so cool. So I opened my eyes and I looked. And specifically, I looked at the people from Haiti and I watched them pray. And I'm telling you, there is nothing like watching the people of Haiti pray because they pray differently. Like there's so much passion. There's so much enthusiasm when they pray. I've heard them pray through translators and they quote scripture all the time. It's like as they're praying, there's this like emotional and spiritual breakthrough that happens as they're praying. And so I'm sitting there with my eyes open and my hands in the air and I'm blown away by watching the people of Haiti pray. And as I'm watching them, the, the thought in my head is, I don't think we know how to pray, you know? It's like they're doing something differently than what we're doing. I don't think we get it, you know, because normally it's like when you pray, you know, you're sitting down at your desk and the teacher hands you a test, you know, and you're like, time to pray. Um, Dear God, uh, I did not study, so give me an A. Amen. Right. And like, that's how you pray is like, please give me an A, you know, or like, or like, you know, maybe uh, guys, you see a girl that you like or girls, you see a guy that you like. And so guys, maybe your prayer is, um, 
dear God, please get her to notice me, you know, dear God, please get him to notice me, you know, and so like that's your prayer, you know, or maybe your prayer is like about your parents, you know, and your parents are driving you crazy, and so you go, um, dear God, can I trade parents, you know, because like my friends have some pretty cool parents, and can we just trade, can we like make that happen, you know, like a, like a holy, you know, parent swap deal, can we do that, please, you know, like that's the way we pray, and as I'm watching the people of Haiti pray, it's like they're praying differently, it's different than the way we normally pray. There's enthusiasm, there's like vigor, there's excitement, and there's all sorts of this, this connection with God that we don't normally have. And I think if we lived like during the time of Jesus, we would feel the same way the disciples of Jesus felt. Because there were many times where, where they watched Jesus pray, and as they're watching Jesus pray, they thought, he's doing something different. Because he's got a connection with God unlike any that we have. I mean, we've seen our parents pray, but the way that Jesus is praying is totally different. It's like he's got this spiritual breakthrough, this emotional breakthrough. It's like when Jesus prays, stuff happens. I want to pray like that. In fact, there was one occasion where a follower of Jesus actually said this, a guy named Luke. Luke said, one day Jesus was praying, okay, they're watching Jesus pray in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, Jesus, I don't think we're doing it right. (laughs) Jesus, you know how to pray and we don't know how to do that. Can you teach us how to pray? And thankfully for us, Jesus actually taught them. And I think what he taught them could actually help us in the way that we pray. So I want you to do this. Grab your Bibles. We're going to look at the prayer that Jesus actually taught them. And so your Bible should be like right under your chair, right under the chair in front of you. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in, uh, in verse 9, and this is on page 970. Okay, so page 970, we're going to look together at the model prayer that Jesus laid out. And I got to say something real quick. Okay, so this is kind of a warning. Um, as you're turning there, as you're looking there, uh, I got to warn you that for some of you, for some of you, the verses that you're getting ready to read are going to be very familiar. In other words, you've heard these words before. In fact, if you grew up in church, you might have even memorized it, especially if you grew up in the Catholic church. This was like kind of one of the things that you did, you know, you had to memorize the Lord's prayer. And so maybe before you went to bed every night, you had to say it to your parents or something. So when you look at these verses, it's going to be very easy to say, oh, been there, done that. I already know it. I've already heard it. I've already read it before. But I want to tell you something. I don't think there's any breakthrough that happens by just repeating his words. I think the breakthrough happens when you reflect his heart. In other words, there's not really any power in like the phrases or the words that he uses. It's not like they're magical, but I think when you jump on board with the heart that Jesus brought, when he prayed, I think it'll change things for you. And so this is how Jesus started things. He said this, this then is how you should pray. So they asked him, Jesus, what do we do? How do we pray? This then is how you should pray. He says, our father in heaven and then pause and don't go any further until you get our father in heaven because see usually when we pray the first thing we do is we ask God for something we're like hey God how you doing so this is what I need you know this is what's going on in my life here's what's going on and Jesus says no 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 before you do anything else you gotta know who you're talking to 
You got to make sure you understand who you're actually addressing. And when Jesus addressed God, I'm telling you, even though this is familiar for us, our Father in heaven, it was brand new for the people listening. This was like, what? Are you serious? Can you call God what Jesus just called God? Because see, everyone else, when they prayed, usually it was something like almighty, all-powerful, you know, this like, you know, unsearchable being that we can't even know and he probably doesn't even know us and we better be really good so he'll pay attention to us. That's normally how people prayed. And yet when Jesus began and when he addressed God, he said a word that was so earth shattering and so intimate, it blew the minds of the people listening. He said, our father. In other words, when Jesus addressed God, he said, dad. He said, dad, which is such an intimate phrase, so close, such a close relationship that Jesus would say, dad. And in the same breath that he said this intimate phrase of father, he then said in heaven, which is a huge, massive, infinite phrase. See, father is intimate, so close, so near. And yet in heaven is infinite. And yet Jesus held both of these things as he talked to God. See, Jesus addresses God as intimate and infinite. Intimate, so near, so close, and at the same time, infinite. And I know for some of us, usually we're good at like one or the other. You know, like chances are when you talk to God, maybe you lean in one direction. For some of you, you know, you, um, like you get the intimate part, you know, like you get the fact that God is close to you. So maybe the way you pray is something like, what's up, bro? How we doing? Big, big man upstairs. You good? Pound it. Just kidding. You can't do that. Okay, that's fine. Uh, anyways, hope you're good. You know, as the Haitians say, sock passe, you good, right? What's up? What's up? Well, anyways, talk to you later. Peace. And that's the way you pray. You know, is this very casual? God's like, you know, he's my bro. Like we're really close. And yet at the same time, that bro you're talking to is the bro that created heaven. He's the bro that made this earth. In fact, he's the bro that made every star that you see in the sky, even the ones that you can't see with the naked eye because they are so far away. He holds the universe in his hand. That bro is massive and he was before your parents were and before your grandparents were and before your great, 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 great grandparents were. God made them and everyone and every tree that you see outside. God is infinite and he is huge and he is big and there's no problem he's come across that he doesn't know how to solve. There's no thing that he doesn't know. There's nothing that's too difficult for him to do. And so yes, he's intimate, but he's also infinite. And there's some of you that infinite is what you get, right? Like you get that God is big. In fact, maybe that's why like you don't want to pray because when you pray, it's like, well, God, you got like you're big and you're huge and you got so much stuff going on. I, you probably don't even know who I am, right? Like you probably don't even care about me because you got too much other stuff going on. And so anyways, you know, I don't even know if you're hearing me right now because you're so big and you're so out there. But that God that is infinite and he's big and he's out there and yes, he's got a lot of other stuff going on. He cares about you personally. He knows you and he loves you. And before we move on from here, I think it's so important that as we talk about the way that Jesus addresses God, he uses a big word that I want us to make sure that we get. He uses the word Father. He uses father. 
And father is not an emotionally neutral term. Father carries all these emotions along with it. Because every time you hear father, chances are you think of your own dad. And so for some of you, when you think of God, you think of your dad and your dad's really nice and he's really kind and he loves you and he always tells you that he loves you and he cares about you and he shows up you know, to your games and shows up to your practices and he's just always there and he loves you and he cares about you. And so when you think of father and you think if God is like father, then like that's a really good thing and all the emotions are happy. But maybe for some of you, when you think of father, you think, well, father's the guy that like, he's got a lot of work to do. You know, like work is really busy for him. And he's got, you know, like I know that he loves me, he cares about me, but like he just can't quite make it home in time for dinner because he's always doing stuff at work. And after all, they really need him to be there. And so, yeah, he cares. He's just not really around that much. For some of you, when you think of father, you think of this guy that's like a disciplinarian. You know, that like he always pushes you and nothing you do is ever enough. And so even though you think you're doing a good job, he just never seems to think you're doing a good job. And he's always asking more and more and more and more and more of you. And every now and then you just want to give like a timeout and you're like, can you just be proud of me for a second? And he's like, no, I can't because I got too much other stuff that I want you to do. And so he keeps pushing you and he just keeps disciplining you. And so when you think of father, that's what you think of. Some of you, when you think of father, you think, uh, who? Father? Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, but um, dad doesn't really care about us because he left us a long time ago. Kids, see, he didn't really care about my brother. He didn't really care about my mom. He didn't really care about me. He didn't really care about us, so he left. And I remember him leaving. Even though I was young, I remember it. And so when you think of father, you think of absent. You think of someone that's just not even in your life not even a part of what's going on. And for some of you, when you think of father, you think of abusive. You think of someone that is verbally abusive. It's like with their words, they cut you down. Or maybe for you, it's physically abusive. And he hurts you. And so when you start thinking about Jesus addressing God as father, you're like, if God is like my father, I don't want to have anything to do with him. I mean, if, if, if God is abusive, if God is absent, if God's like not in the picture and he keeps pushing me and nothing I do is ever good enough, why would I ever want to talk to him? But you need to know this. God is not the reflection of your dad. He is the perfection of your dad. And everything you wish was true of your dad is true of God. In other words, if you've got a dad who's really good and he loves you and he cares about you, God cares about you even more. God loves you even more. If God is there for you and he shows up and he's proud of you, God is even more that way because he's the perfection. But if your dad seems like nothing you do is ever good enough and your dad's not proud of you and your dad doesn't want to spend time with you, the good news for you is that God is nothing like that. God is proud of you. God loves you. God cares about you. If your dad is absent, he's not in the picture, I have great news for you. God is there. He is not absent. And if your dad is abusive, I want you to know that God heals and he cares about you. 
And so the gap between who your dad is and who you wish your dad could be, I want you to know God is the perfection of what you want in a dad and he loves you. And when Jesus began to pray and he said, our father in heaven, he was saying, you are the perfect father. Everything I wish I had in an earthly dad, I have in my heavenly dad. And Jesus would say, before you move on and before you start praying something else, you have to know who you're talking to and you have to know that you're talking to this infinite, huge, massive God and yet he is intimate, he is close to you and he is not the reflection of your dad, he is the perfection of your dad. And then after you get that, after your mind you know, kind of wraps around the truth that God is your dad, the next thing Jesus said is, hallowed be your name. And hallowed is just a really fancy word for like holy, you know, or set apart, or like his name is different. His name is other than our names. In fact, when Jesus was giving this to the, you know, to the people listening, the people kind of already understood this because whenever they would write something and it included the name of God, they would actually skip over God's name because they thought God's name was too holy to even write. That's how big his name was. Later on in Revelation, John is describing who God is, and he says that God has a name that only he knows. In other words, God's name is so big that no one else knows it, only God knows it. And if God's name is that big, how big is his character? And so before moving on and start asking God for stuff, you need to sit in God, you are my dad in heaven, and you are holy, even your name is big, it's massive, and it's so set apart. And then once you've gathered around that, the next thing that Jesus says to pray is this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for some of you, this is kind of weird because you don't really use this word kingdom that much, right? It's like kingdom is the thing that you have in like the game on your phone. You know, like, like, like when you think of kingdom, you think of building a kingdom with like a castle, you know, and like a drawbridge and there's like a moat and you got like someone in the watchtower, you know, and when you think of kingdom, that's what you think of. And so maybe for you, you're like, I don't have a kingdom. What are you talking about kingdom? But Jesus knew that all of us, whether you realize it or not, all of us have a kingdom. I have a kingdom. You have a kingdom. You have a kingdom. And our kingdom is not built with castles or stones or drawbridges. Our kingdom is built with Instagram likes, with favorites, with retweets. Our kingdom is built with money and the stuff that we can buy. Our kingdom is built by popularity and the people around us and the sports that we play and the recognition that we get and the grades that we have. That's how we build our kingdom. And see, I, uh, I remember this was, uh, this was about two months ago. And it was, it, was, it was during your spring break and there was this picture that like went viral uh, on, on Twitter and it was a picture of like a cat and the cat like didn't have, like there was no background. And so when you clicked on the picture of the cat, um, it had a caption that said, swipe up to see the cat fly. And, and, and some of you know what I'm talking about. And so when you swiped up, it looked like the cat was flying off your screen. And so if you're anything like me, you know, when you got that, you like did it like 12 times because you're like, this is so fun. You know, the cat's flying off the screen. You know, how cool is that? And so many of you were like retweeting it, favored it and all that. And then I had an idea and I was like, hey, wouldn't this be fun if like, if I took a picture of myself and then I posted it online and said, swipe up to see Steve fly, you know, like that'd be I mean, you know, like that'd be kind of fun. It's spring break and so we'll have a little bit of fun. And so I posted it online. I didn't really think anything of it. And as soon as I posted it, all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up. And it's like, retweet, favorite, 
quote, tweet, retweet, you know, reply, favorite, retweet, retweet. And all of a sudden, this thing is like going crazy. In fact, this is a picture of it right here. Um, it says swipe up, and that's me flying. And so it says swipe up, see Steve fly. And there were 45 retweets and 52 favorites. And I'm like, what? That's incredible, right? 45, are you serious? 45 retweets? And you know what I thought? I was like, man, a lot of people want to see me fly. You know, like this is good. And then it quickly transitioned to a lot of people want to see me fly too. A lot of people want to see me, right? Because some of those people retweeting, I didn't even know them because they were a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. And people just want to see me fly and I don't even know who they are. They don't even know who I am, but they love this picture and they're all about this. And my kingdom's feeling pretty good right now, right? Because I got all these people don't even know me. And maybe they're halfway across the world and they're, you know, they're swiping up and they're watching me fly and they're retweeting and they're sharing with their friends. And I'm like, my kingdom is awesome right now. And I think Jesus would say, it's not about your kingdom. It's not about your favorites. It's not about your retweets. It's not about the stuff that you have. It's not about the friends that you have. It's not about the popularity. It's not about the recognition. It's not about how many people know your name. It's about God's kingdom. And when you begin to pray the way that Jesus said we should pray, you start to realize that true prayer, not prayer that we normally do, but true prayer focus, is focused on God's kingdom, not mine. True prayer, when you really get down to it, it's about God's kingdom, not mine. In other words, God, there's stuff that I want to do today, but if whatever I want to do is in conflict with what you want to do, I want you to know that I want your kingdom to win. In other words, God, I don't want you to leverage your influence for my life and for my kingdom. I want to leverage my influence for your kingdom. It's not about trying to bend God to bend to your will. It's about bending to God's will. True prayer is focused on God's kingdom, not mine. That means when you pray, part of the prayer should be, God, whatever you want for today, before you even ask, I want you to know the answer is yes. Before you even ask, I want you to know that I'm on board. I want to do whatever you ask me to do. And can I be honest for a second? This is difficult because I like my kingdom and I want to build my kingdom and I want people to know my name and I want people to be about my kingdom. And so there are many times that I've knelt down to pray and I've held on to the things of my kingdom and through prayer, I've had to let them go. And the length of your prayer is not, is not you know, how holy are you or, you know, how, how great are you. The length of your prayer is determined by how long it takes to say, God, your kingdom come, and I mean it. I want whatever you are doing to happen over whatever I am doing, even if it costs me, even if it's painful, even if it hurts. I want you to know that I want your kingdom to come. And so imagine for a second, imagine if instead of our normal prayers that don't really work and our normal prayers that are kind of distant and they're just kind of lame and, and, and sometimes maybe they feel cheap. Imagine if instead of praying that way, we began to pray like Jesus. What would it look like if every morning, every morning, you were to kneel down and start praying and you were to pray through this prayer. 
and you would say, before I move on to the next line, before I ask God for anything, I want to make sure that I mean this line. And so for some of you, for some of you, if you do this tonight when you pray, you're going to kneel down and you're going to say, our Father. And that's going to be tough to say. But I would ask you to try. And maybe you don't even move on from there because it takes you a long time to realize that God is the perfection of your Father, not the reflection of your Father. And if that's the case, that's okay. Just spend some time there saying, you're my dad and you're better than my dad. And maybe that's your entire prayer. Maybe for you, you say our Father in heaven and you get that and you're on board and you're like, God, I believe that. And maybe you move on to the next line, holy is your name. And maybe you've been treating God casually and maybe tonight is the first time that you say, God, you are holy. Even your name is set apart. Even your name is holy. You're a big old God with a big old name and you're better than I am. And maybe for some of you, after praying that, you get stuck at the next line. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And maybe for you, you're holding on to something for your kingdom. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's what you want to be known for. And maybe as you start praying, you say, God, I really want this for my kingdom, but it's time for me to let it go. Because it's not about my kingdom. It's about your kingdom. And so here's the question for you tonight. Will you commit to pray like Jesus? Will you commit to pray like Jesus? Not like you've prayed before and not just repeating these words, but reflecting his heart. And imagine, just kind of dream with me. Imagine if you did this. Imagine if for the entire summer, for the rest of the summer, you began to pray like Jesus. And instead of moving on and saying, God, here's what I want for today. Get her to notice me. Get him to notice me. You know, and then when school starts, you know, give me an A and all that stuff. What if instead you started off and you said, Dad in heaven, you are huge and you are big and you made everything that I see. And yet you know me like a dad should know his son or his daughter. And before I ask you for anything, I just want to let you know that I love who you are and I'm so grateful that you've adopted me into your family. And you got a big old name. It's bigger than my name. It's set apart. I can't even write it. I can't even know it. That's how big, that's how holy you are. And with a God that big that loves me that much, how could I not be on board with your plan? So I want you to know, God, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. What if that's the way that you began to pray? And what if, what if one of your friends saw you pray and they came up to you and they said, hey, um, when you pray, it's like different than the way that I pray. It's like when you pray, there's like this emotional breakthrough and this spiritual breakthrough. Because I think maybe I'm doing something wrong. I think you're doing something right. What if one of your friends came up to you and said, would you teach me how to pray? I think that could happen when we start praying like Jesus. Because true prayer is focused on God's kingdom, not mine. Let me pray for you. God, you are, uh, you're so good and you're, uh, you're our father in heaven. It's like a, uh, 
God, you, you love us like a dad should love his kids. And yet you are big and you are massive and there is no one like you. And you made the heavens and you made the earth. You made every star we see in the sky and yet you know me personally. You know my name. And your name, that's big. It's holy. It's set apart. And I just want you to know that whatever you want to do, we want to do. God, for these students, we all want you to know that whatever you want to do in their life, that's what I want to do. So thank you. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. And I pray that as we start to do this over the summer, as we begin to pray, that we wouldn't just repeat your words, but we would reflect your heart. So we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.